all these rules that we followed our whole life. It was just kind of this like, like now what? We're going to go out on the field. We're going to score as many goals as we can. We're going to have fun. Oh, Becchio, well placed. For Emily McGee, the draw towards volleyball began before she'd ever pulled on a uniform or played a legit set. So my love for volleyball came at a young age when like every Thanksgiving, my mom has four sisters and they would play um, volleyball at the rec center, but no kids allowed, right? Because it was like an adult game. So I remember sitting on the sidelines and just kind of like always watching and can't, can't wait for the day that I was old enough that I could play with like my older cousins. Um, so it started kind of always just wanting to play. She was a super athletic and competitive kid, dabbled in soccer and a bunch of other sports. She hadn't specialized though. She wasn't driving all around with a best in the state travel team. Her relationship towards sport during those days watching her aunts throughout elementary school was primarily about running around, socializing with kids her age, just going out and having fun. But then junior high rolled around and a shift happened. I had no previous training and uh, very casual, like whatever. And then someone on my team talked to my parents and was like, hey, Emily's really, really good. Uh, you should have her try out for a uh, possibility. My oldest daughter has a volleyball scholarship and Emily's much better than her without even training. So um, I that meant nothing to me, but I loved playing sports in the community it had. So I did that and my jump touch was naturally like, and this means nothing for a normal person, but it's like nine, six as a seventh grader, which is like crazy. So I automatically kind of just got on teams for my general athleticism. Um, but then it was really just being good at something and all these people telling me that I was good. And, and I was the coach's favorite, not necessarily because I was like obedient, just because I was the go-to player that would get the job done. So like I had all these coaches that were rooting for me. I had all these um, parents and my teammates rooting for me. And it was, it was almost like this, once you jump on the train, you can't really get off in a way that I'm getting Michigan State, big, big 10 schools looking at me when I'm in seventh grade. So that's 12, 13 years old talking to my college coaches. So like, while I did love the sport, I more loved that I was really good at the sport, if that makes sense. Starting around then, Emily's identity, her sense of self-worth really became tethered to volleyball. And to use her phrase, it was like a train she couldn't get off. The intensity ramped up throughout her teenage years. The club I grew up playing, it's called Sports Performance, and it's a suburb of Chicago. So I started there when I was 13 years old, and I played up there until I was on 18 years old. And this um, club is known, um, not just in Illinois, but across the country, as being pretty strict and all-encompassing. So there were times where I had doubts, like, is this the right thing as everyone else? Like, they do not allow you to miss a Friday. Like, we have practice um, five days a week uh, or four days a week, Tuesdays off every year, and then... So Fridays, practice, prom, no problem. Like you have to go unless you're a senior, but then you have probably practice that next morning. So there's no after party, but really it kind of becomes all your friends are on your team. So there were definitely times where I felt lonely and isolated. And I was like, 
okay, what is even going on? I'm in this bubble and I loved all my teammates, but it was definitely this bubble that like, you really feel like even if I were to burst out of it, there would be like no other option. So like I had a boyfriend of four years and he was like my little pocket, but like I never really saw him. Um, I had my friends on my team. Um, I struggled some with my mental health, really uh, my junior year of high school up until, I mean, throughout college, but really badly my freshman year of college. And that's when I was kind of like, I don't like, should I get out here? Um, and honestly, I, I just couldn't because volleyball was like the one thing I had going for me that I could prove and point at of like, this is a good area of your life. So it became this weird, like Venn diagram of the thing that's making me the happiest is also partially causing all of this chaos. Uh, so it was just like this really hard overlap that uh, I really never excelled in anywhere else uh, other than volleyball. The missed high school milestones the lack of balance, all of it seemed to have paid off when Emily sealed a scholarship to play Division I volleyball at the University of North Carolina. Moving away and attempting to navigate the many changes that came with freshman year in college was a challenge for her. Her mental health suffered. But again, volleyball had this power this not-so-straightforward, dark-and-light relationship to Emily's well-being. And so eventually, like it had always done, volleyball brought success, joy, confidence, so much to anchor herself to. Emily had a great college athlete experience in so many ways, she balled out on the court. She formed special relationships. She loved her coaches right through the very end. My whole senior season was, um, the story was basically we had these phenomenal freshman athletes on our team uh, along. So we had like three freshmen starting, which if you don't know volleyball, six people on the court at once, typically maybe eight to nine people who actually play in a match. So having three starters that are freshmen is a huge, a huge, um, like shift of momentum and like kind of power shift. So I remember kind of like at the end in the playoffs, they're here, their first final season, they're going through finals for the first time because volleyball is a fall sport. They're going through having a social life in college. They're going through having, being alone from their parents. So I'm like here trying to, and it felt like at the time, um, you know, trying to include these freshmen since I had such a horrible freshman year, which is part of the thing that was like so important to me was to include freshmen. But on the other side of it, until it's your senior season, you know, it's your last time playing. You don't have the same sense of urgency. You don't have the same type of commitment. You don't have the same type of, please just focus here. Like, please just make these small sacrifices for me. You'll understand when you're a senior and I'm just kind of begging you. Um, and so that was kind of like the vibe that year. We had a pretty good season. Uh, we got to the second round of the tournament and did well. We, we, we kind of had some unlucky draws with, we were played with someone on like their home court, Iowa state, very good team. And yeah, I, I, I just remember like going up for every swing and it was like, you know, game point and every swing I have is like, okay, well, I just, no, because from high school, you just have to go out swinging. You have to go out hard. You don't want to have any regrets. And I remember like the last point was like an air by someone else, like a weird one-off air. That's like not really how games end. So it was kind of even like this weird feeling of like, what a weird way to end your career. Wasn't in my hands, wasn't in my control. And also it was just kind of a, a weird feeling to know it's done. 
like right when it ended where you just where you hit with just like a, a uncomfortable nothingness where did it not hit you till later what was that like yeah I mean it was weird it's like you know you go in and and it's just this feeling of I'm like never going to be in a locker room with these people again I'm never going to be probably in an environment that I'm on a team like this again uh I, it was immediately like we went back and I remember like we ordered wine at the hotel lobby. Cause like, we're obviously, you know, 22, 23 years old at this time, the seniors all like got wine. Cause we were like, I, I, I don't even remember if the coaches were there or not, but I was like, it's just so uh, such a weird concept of like all these rules that we followed our whole life. It was just kind of this, like, n- like now what, like, it was just kind of like your loss. Like, so while it, it hits you, it's still like, it, it was just a more surreal feeling, I guess. In the tail end of her senior season, and in the immediate aftermath of the actual end, Emily was actually pretty excited about retirement. I had a, a back injury my senior year where I was on a bunch of pain medicine, um, uh, like pain medicine, muscle relaxers, steroids. So I was like light at the end of the tunnel. So I'm like, all your problems will be gone once, like your body's going to be healthier. You're going to be sleeping more. You're finally going to be able to hang out with your friends. It's going to be this whole shift and your life and all these problems are going to be done. You didn't quit. You made it. Here's the finish line. It's going to be the feeling of crossing the marathon. And it's like kind of this weird feeling of like, wow, I can't believe I did it. And I made it. And so like, while I was still like that, I'm going to have so many opportunities. I'm going to have endless time. I don't know what I'm going to do with it yet, but everything's going to be better. So it was kind of this, like, definitely I was really, really excited more so than like dreading. And that kind of set me up for failure too. Once she cleaned out her locker, once the dust from the stopping of that train going 100 miles per hour settled, the loss of sport started to hit her. She struggled with identifying her purpose now. She struggled with thoughts of falling short, with dealing with her perfectionism and needing to be successful with sport taken away. She struggled with grasping the fact that She might never feel certain feelings again. She struggled with her body image. She struggled with watching her old team be, quote unquote, better without her. So many things she couldn't have ever anticipated, have never thought about being issues until she was actually going through them. It's the stuff like, my friends were my teammates and I would catch up with them every single morning in morning weights. I would then see them at night because we could all only go out like once a quarter on the same night and we'd all go to the same place, the same teammates house. And then we would all hang out together. Uh, we would then all catch up in the afternoon at our practice. And then we'd walk home together. We'd live together, et cetera. So then all of a sudden I, we, and, and not in a bad way, we would never really text each other. We were never keeping in touch, like FaceTiming each other and stuff. Cause we saw each other three times a day. We were with each other 48 hours straight on weekends, traveling and, and playing. So it was this weird shift then of like, how do you even maintain social relationships? Like there's so much that goes into your end of your career, other than stopping playing sports that it's hard to prepare for. She also came to realize that there was this other deeper systemic and cultural element to her transition experience. So it's really interesting to me because I I've spent a lot of time looking back at this and seeing why exactly I had such a hard time transitioning because I did have these feelings, right? I said of being really excited to finish and, and the finish lines here. And I think part of it is just how 
women's sports are set up in America. And there's some interesting studies on the difference of men and women, um, women's sports, volleyball. I had the opportunity to go abroad in Europe to play. Uh, my body just wasn't up for it. So, um, I thought that like, I'd be okay because, okay, I'm not doing that route. I have a, a boyfriend. I'll stay here. I'll get a job. I have a really good degree. Uh, so I thought this was like kind of the path, but then the more you look at it as opposed to men's sports, where you have all these different opportunities, maybe these men's careers are ending because they're not good enough. Maybe they're ending because uh, they try out for sports and then they go to the NFL draft and they get picked up, but then released. So it's kind of like, okay, I tried, I gave it my all and it's on their end. It's almost this weird sense of like, I quit that kind of left me unfulfilled and and not because necessarily I wanted to quit just because of the lack of opportunity for women's sports in America. So it was just this kind of weird gray area that I thought I'd be a lot more excited, but I think kind of by default, the timeline was out of my hands for it, if that makes sense. It was right as she was really in the thick of these hard thoughts and challenges that Emily got some news. It's news that made her think about the retirement transition and the intersection of mental health and sports in general in a completely different, more urgent way. So one of my previous teammates from sports performance, so this is a club that was very intense that, you know, it was pretty much your whole life. So you were there 40 hours a week after school um, and she committed suicide. She went to Miami, um, Miami, Florida. And so they were another ACC school. We played her every year. And shortly after graduation, she was in med school and she committed suicide. And it was this this kind of like wake up call of like, I had no idea she was going through that. And I myself many times were very close to committing suicide myself. And I'm like, okay, this is something that's like not an isolated incident. Cause like when it's you, it's easy to think that like this depression is just me. Like you can't tell anyone because everyone would be lucky to have you. Like how, who am I to complain about my situation? I got a full ride to a division one school and I'm a four-year starter. Like it's a pretty, like, it's a pretty good life. How can I possibly come out here and complain? And, and so it was just in similar situation to her. She was a phenomenal setter. Um, She got into med school and it's just like, okay, I'm going to start this blog. So I just started a blog on WordPress right when I graduated. Um, It was the upward climb of the retired athlete. And it's just this kind of metaphor of, okay, you finally finished your career, but you feel like you're just still climbing this mountain of success and you can never get there. And I was overwhelmed with how many people, and it was not good, by the way, like it was WordPress, it was like not, it was like basically the old MySpace pages of like Tumblr blogs. Despite how it might've looked, The blog was a success. Her posts were heavily reshared. They got more views than she could have imagined. And people were messaging her about how important this content was. But as she'll say, the blog wasn't going to pay her bills in this post-college period, and it eventually trickled off. What was going to definitely pay her bills, though, was her really demanding job in investment banking. I'm really curious what role that played in your processing. I know that it's incredibly intense, especially for those first two years. And like, you really don't have a life. So maybe it's like you kind of threw yourself into this all-consuming other, which could probably be helpful in not thinking about things and feeling better or not kind of sitting with the hard stuff, but I could imagine it could also backfire. Yes. And that's exactly what happened. So I was so wrapped up on 
making people proud, making people impressed, um, achieving my goals that I knew from when I was young, I wanted to go into investment banking. My dad's actually in investment banking. So I was always like, every take your daughter to work. Uh, I was there. I was like, this is what I'm doing. And once I have a plan, I just stuck on it. Like from when I was in seventh grade, I knew I was going to play collegiate volleyball. Okay. This is the plan. And I'm going to get these things done. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go, I have to go to a school with a good business school. I'm going to get into the business school. I'm going to now go into this. And so it's just all these things that were just trademarked and that my successes were being defined on arbitrary points that I made for myself. And if I didn't succeed and if I didn't stay there and if I have the income that I wanted and if I didn't have the position that I wanted and if I wasn't climbing at the right rates, this wasn't good. This was causing me stress. This was causing me depression. Um, Was I checking these boxes? And I wasn't. And so it was making me kind of spiral, even though, um, you know, outside looking in, it's like, oh, it is what it is. Um, You have a great job. You have all these things. But for me, that wasn't enough unless I was hitting all these like high marks and getting A pluses at all times. Eventually, all the pressure she put on herself in this time of transition after sport, after graduating in this really pivotal growth period in her early 20s came to a head. I was really unhappy at, at my job. I was really unhappy um, with, with my living situation. So I guess trigger warning for abuse for our listeners. I was married. So I did the same thing with like all aspects of my life were this pigeonholed area. So I was dating a guy that I was dating my senior year of college. And so then once I did this, I did the right thing in his graduation weekend, I got engaged and then we got married and then less than a year of into our marriage, um, he physically assaulted me. And it was this, and I was like, whoa, I was like, what? And don't get me wrong. Things were not good before then. Like there, I, things were bad in the engagement stage, but like, it was just going back to the checklist. I had all these things and this is the process. I've made this decision already. And so then any deviation was seen as a failure to me. I was unable to look at my life and see like, what would I want and what would make me happy? And I was so back still to these external pressures of like, but I mean, even who, like looking back now, I'm thinking, did my mom care if I got a divorce from this man that she didn't even like? No. Does my dad care that maybe his career isn't my career? Absolutely. Like, absolutely not. And like looking back now, it seems so silly, but when you're in the thick of it, it is everything. You don't want people to talk about you. You don't want to be embarrassed. You don't like, it's just hard to say that this isn't what's happy. So within the, all at the same time, after that happened, I ended up making the decision to get a divorce. I left my job, moved States, switched, switched jobs, um, kind of just did a full reset. And that was like the scariest thing that I ever did, but it was the best thing for me looking back. I mean, it's easy to say now that was five years ago that all this happened. And here I am now, like five years later on the other side of it in like a completely new life. And it's just so crazy to be so proud of 25 year old Emily, like her, my greatest failure is what I'm most proud of now. And it's just so weird to think that looking back. Now, Emily's married. She has two daughters and her new life has given some room to circle back to that interest she had in the retirement transition, athlete identity, and mental health. When she was staying at home with her first daughter, Emily saw that one of her former teammates at UNC, who was a freshman when she was a senior, had started this awesome platform 
dedicated to improving the mental health of women athletes. It was called the Virago Project. I was like, let's go. Like, I want to do this again. Like, this can be my passion project and kind of give me that purpose that I constantly seek as a retired athlete. Um, So it's been a phenomenal, phenomenal time working with that. And she's pivoted from blogging to podcasting. Emily started a podcast called More Than My Stats, formerly called the Virago Pod, which aims to shed light on issues that aren't talked about enough in athletics and life after sport. Her hope is to help make sure the next generation of athletes knows they're not alone in their struggles, and that through talking about topics around mental health, life as an elite athlete and as a retired elite athlete won't have to feel so uphill. As a mom, that idea of supporting the next generation of athletes hits particularly close to home. You know, I've been really, really open on the fact that if any of my I have two daughters right now, but if any of my daughters or future sons play sports, they're going to be seeing like sports psychologists very early, just as like like maintenance checks. Like you have to get an annual physical, but I think more and more, the more we talk about this and we kind of normalize this, not just in the transition, but even in your playing career, like we can start getting better resources for athletes. It's been nearly eight years since Emily's final days as a student athlete. She's been through a lot of endings and beginnings, burned up a whole list of things she thought she had to be and do to be happy. And she's figured out how to move on while carrying with her the treasures from her time on the court. It was a lot of trial and error. And so I hope that like my overcoming, like overcoming a lot of this trial and error can hopefully be helpful to someone because I tried to like recreate that. Like I joined a volleyball league. I was like, okay, let me try to keep playing. And like, even if it's like not as competitive as like people that used to play um, with club with me. So they were good as well, but like on a more level, I'm like, okay, I've got to do this. And then all of a sudden I was like, okay, and I'm going to sign up for a marathon. I'm going to go, I'm not a runner, but I'm going to go sign a marathon because I'm going to be impressive. I'm going to have all these athletic accomplishments that I'm really proud of. And I kept trying to recreate the feeling and the rush you have of being a successful athlete. And because that was like my purpose and my drive and my identity. And not until I discovered instead of trying to recreate the exact identity, let's just substitute these out because there's some identities that you have for life and there's some identities that you have for seasons of life. And so once you can understand, okay, this, this part of your identity can actually really easily be, be switched to something else that can be a really easy substitute in a more like healthy way. That's like not running marathons every year if you're not a runner. Um, so for example, I loved being a teammate. I was a captain. I was elected um, leader. I was like, okay. So I was like, I can now switch being a great teammate and a leader to now being a great friend. So I'm going to be the person that texts people on their birthday. I'm going to be the person that organizes a book club. I'm going to be the person that, you know, does this outreach and, you know, so be it. If no one joins, no one joins, but those are things that I can like kind of easily transfer. Um, I really liked checking off the task. I liked hitting my numerical goals. Okay. So there's easy other ways and aspects of your life to hit numerical goals. Um, I thought I needed the title. I wanted to be successful and 
I, I thought that was it with work, but really all I wanted to do was be, to be able to like reach my goals that maybe weren't status. I wanted to travel. So like, okay, I actually wanted to travel. I didn't need to have this work status. So have, there's other ways to travel without having that, that can still make me happier. So like switching the teammate to friends, switching the high successful career to having enough money to actually do what makes me happy. Um, switching the dependable, person that other people praise, um, to just being someone that like I can praise. Like that's been the biggest thing is like really finding those internal motivators that like five years from now, am I going to be proud of myself? And like, really, that's the only thing that like has made the biggest difference. Thank you to Emily McGee for coming on to the podcast and thank you for listening. Hope to see you next time.